Women's World Cup football fever continues to build in Australia as the competition and also the Matildas, what a relief, enter the knockout stages leading up to the final on the 20th of August. As well as the odd field dramas, it's striking that really all the tournament's participants are pioneers in their own way and part of the larger story of the development of women's football around the globe. And that goes not just for the 32 nations competing in this ninth Women's World Cup. Joining us now on RN are three women who are in Australia as part of a contingent of First Nations and Indo-Pacific sportswomen and sports journalists. They're taking part in an ABC International Development Program about the art of sports commentary and storytelling. And each participant comes with their own compelling personal story. The program's an initiative jointly of FIFA, WWC, Oceania Football Confederation and the Office for Sport. And I'm very pleased to say that we're joined now by Kiralee Phillips, who's the captain of the Australian Indigenous Women's Football Team, the Koalas. Welcome, Kiralee. Thank you and hello. Great to have you. Kiralee's also a clinical supervisor at the University of Queensland School of Dentistry, which I hope is entirely unrelated to her work with the Koalas. (laughs) Andy Tinai is a freelance journalist, a former national player for Fiji and a women's football advocate who started her own women's football club in Fiji. Welcome, Andy. Great to have you. And we're also joined by Cleveland Mayuga, who's a sports digital creative from the Philippines. Welcome, Cleveland. Thank you. Mabuhay. Mabuhay to everybody. Fantastic to have you all. Kiralee, you're the captain of the Indigenous women's football team, the Koalas. Could you tell us about the Koalas and your journey to becoming not just a member of the team, but the captain as well? Yeah, it's been a very interesting one and a very exciting one. So every year we've got a team that participates in the First Nations Football Cup in November and from that tournament there's a selection into the Koalas team. This year we were fortunate enough to play against um, the Maldives that came over in a three-game test series and it was really cool because we took it out. We won two of the three games and um, it was the first year that the two cultures had signed a treaty in standing together Mm. for First Nations football. That is fantastic and certainly much better than the Bledisloe Cup results. So that's great to hear, (laughs) (laughs) Kiralee. And you mentioned the First Nations football championships. I gather they've been going since about 2016, but I wonder if you could speak to us a little about the developing role of women's football in that event and I suppose the spread of the round ball game more broadly for women in Indigenous communities. Each year I'm noticing it's getting bigger and bigger. The talent coming out of some of these communities is, you know, you could see them definitely in in those senior positions in club sport. But, yeah, like the the women that I've got in my team, a lot of them are playing in the MPL or, you know, definitely in that next stage of their Football Queensland Div 1. I think it's definitely pushing forward now with this um, Women's World Cup. We're seeing a lot of younger ones aspiring to play the round ball game and it's great to see that it's at the the forefront now and, um, you know, Australia is very big on AFL and rugby league but football is now definitely getting a lot more exciting. Yeah, I gather you came from a uh, rugby league family, Kiralee. <laughs> yeah, I hope your I hope your football journey hasn't been controversial in the house. <laughs> oh, just a little bit, but, you know, I'm very loud, so <laughs> make it worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, tell us a little bit about your background. Um, so I'm a Gumbengia woman. So my family's bloodline runs in and around that northern rivers of New South Wales. Started off um, my early younger years in um, New South Wales, but have been living in Mianjin here in Brisbane for the last sort of 15 years. You know, I always played like a lower level of club football. Um, and it's just been these past couple of years that I now captain an MPL National Premier League side in Redcliffe in Brisbane. 
and I've been doing that now for, for two years and we're sitting sort of third on the table now and we're really looking at securing those. We have secured finals football, but sort of our next, our next goal now is to make it into the grand final, which is going to be held at Suncorp in September. Fantastic. Well, all the best for that. And I, I don't Thank mean you. to make light of it at all because it can be difficult choosing football as a young girl. Did you experience sort of discrimination and resistance? I don't think discrimination or resistance, but I definitely felt a lot of isolation back mm. then. And, you know, looking at 10, 20 years ago, a lot of attention for young women was always either netball or maybe they were in that rugby league field. And I've been on many teams where I'm the only First Nations woman or girl on that team. And sometimes when I take the field, I still feel a little bit isolated. But, you know, with these teams like the like the Australian Just Koalas and many teams now participating in NAIDOC weeks, you know, they're really highlighting Indigenous participation now. So, mm. um, you know, I feel like I help lead that as well. Me as a young 15-year-old and, you know, what I would have wanted back then. And that's kind of what I'm trying to implement now into some of these clubs and into teams like the Koalas. Yeah, well, that's great to hear and great to hear about the koalas. And it's certainly the case now that there's a strong Indigenous presence in the current Matildas squad. And yeah. it's something that's highlighted in the Matildas documentary series too. Do you think that the Women's World Cup is particularly having an effect on the interest and participation of Indigenous girls wanting to play football? Yeah, absolutely. I think that if you ask any young Indigenous girl who their favourite player was, you know, they definitely highlight Kaya Simon and Lydia Williams for sure. Mm. So we look at the the Australian Indigenous Koalas team and that's what the Matildas should look like and that's what we're striving to be. We want more participation from our First Nations women in these national leagues. Thanks, Kiralee. Let's come on to your story now, Andy Tinna. You're a freelance journalist but also a former national player for Fiji. When did you first start playing football as a girl and what was the state of women's football when you did? For me, I started way back when I was uh, 16. I usually played for uh, the boys' team in school. And uh, I went to a Muslim high school. And knowing how Muslim um, high schools are in Fiji, like girls are not allowed to play with boys. But mm. my, my principal, high school principal back then, because I had so many achievements um, representing the school in the quiz team, I mean, in oratory contests and stuff like that. So he would always allow me to play with the boys' team when the team was represented in football. But I've always played football from a very young age in my backyard at home with all my Indo-Fijian neighbours. So apparently on one of the days that I was playing for the school under-19s team and I didn't know that the Fiji football were looking to recruit the Fiji under-20 boys for the Olympic playoffs. So I got selected and they only found out I was a girl when I had to present my ID card. <laughs> oh my goodness. So Amazing. Yeah. Then they told me that there is a, a national women's team that plays, we call it Super League. That's like um, the top division of uh, six top women's teams in Fiji. We have 20 club teams or district teams, we call it back at home, that play top level. Mm. So we have 14 provinces in Fiji and they are all represented with this women's team. So I represent the capital city of Fiji, Suva, and uh, I became one of the national's best Striker, ended up in the under-18s, under-20s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the Fijian women's national team, we know the Australian team, uh, we've got the Matildas and, of course, we've got the mm -hmm. Koalas that we've talked about with uh, Kiralee. What's the Fijian women's team called? Uh, we're called the Kulas. Uh, Kula is an uh, Indigenous bird 
They just adopted the name Coolers, I think, two years ago. Because ah. it has always been called the Fiji women's team, the Fiji football team. Well, you've certainly been a pioneer in the sport, but I gather, Andy, that you've also had to pay quite a price for speaking out and advocating for equality between the men's and women's games in Fiji. Could you tell us what happened to you? Um, I've been playing football for 20 years, like I've mentioned, and I've been coaching uh, children as young as five-year-olds to um, 16-year-olds. actually started a private football club uh, with a friend back in the days and that's where I started coaching and the interest started coming from nationwide. But apparently, because Suva is the capital city and uh, our National Football Academy is based in Suva, most of our training sessions are held at the Football Academy. And uh, I did speak up against children being... Um, they, they bring their traditional upbringing into football, which mm. I find was inappropriate. So, for instance, for us Fijians, when girls are, are born at home, you're taught that a girl washes the dishes, cleans the house. This is how you iron your uniform. You're not taught this is how you kick the ball at three o'clock is training session and mm. all of that because we come from a very traditional background. And then um, for you to bring your Fijian lifestyle, say you see a girl that can't kick and you say, you're pathetic or things like that. And it hurt me so much because I have a daughter and I've been coaching all these years. So before I start my training session, there's a very important line that I tell all my players to say. They have to say it with me before we start training. So we start with a prayer and I say, I am the best and I can do anything. Oh, and, love that and when the kids go back at home, before they take a shower, they have to look at themselves in the mirror. Now, this is normal for me. This is part of my timetable and my training. So before you go into the bathroom, look at yourself in the mirror. You're not anyone else and you're not going to copy anybody else. The very so person beautiful. you're looking for is the person in that mirror the person mm. in that mirror and make sure you recite, I am the best and I can do anything. So make sure you see yourself knowing that you are the best at whatever you do. Because great, when Andy. I grew up, no one said that to me, mm. you know. Mm. So I want to be the change in football. So I've been doing that and for some specific reason, people didn't like how I try to change things. So I wrote to my football president who actually brushed it off and then I had to face him. So he closed the blinds, locked the door. He couldn't face me. I was chased from the football academy. I was messaged by my president, the Suva football president, and my managers to take my post down. And I said, this is not the Fiji football page, freedom of speech. I am posting on the media page. Mm. One of the media outlets in Fiji has a very big following on Facebook. So I posted it there and then I was told that I couldn't, I'm not allowed in the Fiji Football Academy and I'm not allowed to continue playing for my club. But I was removed in 2011 and 2015 from the national team because of the same reasons that I thought that women should be getting equal pay. You don't promise a woman like, come on, win your next game, $500 goes on your, in your paycheck. But then you win the game and everybody else forget about the paycheck that you were promised to. Believe me, there are girls who are playing in the national team who are young mothers, single mothers. Football is the only way that they make money. And Andy, you mentioned that you founded your own club, the Everton Sisters FC. What's the Everton Sisters story? <laughs> I started uh, when the girls started 
getting pushed away from football or they were disheartened from continuing with their football, I contacted a friend who's actually a businessman, uh, Ellen Kumar, and uh, I said, look, the girls are not getting a platform to play in. So we started a business house tournament. I started with uh, 20 girls in the first year. Going on the fourth year now, we have 160 girls playing the competition. Fantastic. And there's eight clubs. Uh, so Everton Sisters, I um, I bargained with a few businessmen and I said, whoever's going to give me the best sponsorship for the first women's team that's going to play in the men's business house tournament, is going to get the name. So back then I had uh, Mr. Paul Welsh, the assistant British High Commissioner to Fiji. So he was like, I'm a big fan of Everton, so if I'm paying you this for your uniforms <laughs> and your bottles, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so there you go. Everton Sisters FC was born four years ago, and I have almost about 37 girls registered in my club now, oh. of which 12 were part of the national women's football team, and seven are now playing NPL in Sydney. Fantastic. That is amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's been great uh, hearing about all the things you're up to in Fiji. And yeah, we didn't even get to talking about your journalism as well, uh, but uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, let's move on to you now, Cleveland. You're from the Philippines and a sports yep. digital creative. The Filipinas didn't make it to the knockout rounds in this Women's World Cup, but <laughs> that first win, shocking the co-hosts of New Zealand and beating them, that really made world headlines. What impact yeah. did that game have at home? And have you seen many Filipinas fans travel to, to New Zealand? this World Cup? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what I've been telling all my co-participants here is that everybody knows a Filipino for some reason, <laughs> like we are everywhere. So I'm not surprised that there there are a lot of Filipinos in New Zealand, like who stays there. And then some of them travel to New Zealand just for the World Cup. But as you know, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but the Philippines is a big basketball country. We're not mm. really into football. So this is like this achievement with the Filipinas. It's super big because it's the first time ever that we've qualified for the World Cup. Our men's national football team has been trying for years, but our women's team were able to do it on their first try and <laughs> like it's such a huge um, achievement for them so this thing is kind of new to the country and like we're still navigating the whole football world with this achievement because um, I think there's still a gap in telling the stories of football players in the Philippines and given this opportunity like the Filipinas going to the World Cup I think it's starting a spark yeah, that's great to hear. And obviously, yeah, that Filipinas uh, win and the entry into the World Cup first time is obviously a boost. What mm -hmm. sort of infrastructure is there for the, the women's game in the Philippines? Is there a, like a national competition um, and support from football authorities? Well, we have that, but, you know, there are a lot of nuances when it comes to, like, support, especially to women's sports. So, um, for example, in the Philippines, we're a big basketball country, right? But our women's basketball team is, like, super big also. But the support and, like, the resources that's available to them is kind of questionable with the amount of achievement that they have now. So, mm. um, with our football team... 
I think people are now recognizing how important it is to start a grassroots program for the Philippines because there is none. Like compared to Kirili and Andy, the Philippines is not, it doesn't have like a strong sports culture because sports is like an added value. It's not like mm-hmm. normal for kids to get into because, you know, people focus more on studying and then finishing your school and then get a good job. And then sports is like considered a distraction in a way because how much money you have to put into that so that you can be successful in any sport. And I know it's been a factor for football in Australia as well that in Mm -hmm. the early development stages, successful players basically end up living and playing overseas most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that a factor in the Philippines as well? And does that affect the profile of the game in the Philippines? Yeah, for example, for the Filipinas, um, our homegrown talents... um, made it possible for us to be in the World Cup. And then coming into the World Cup, we've been getting like different athletes from all over the world who are professional football players. But it's kind of hard for Filipinos, normal Filipinos, to identify with them because the storylines are kind of different compared to the normal storylines that Filipinos have back home. So I think um, that's a challenging part of telling their stories is how do we find a common denominator or a common ground for everybody to give them support and like to realize that, oh, football can be another sport that we can get into. Awesome. Well, thank you so much to all of you for speaking with us today. Our guests have been Clevelyn Mayuga, sports digital creative from the Philippines. Thanks, Clevelyn. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks also, Kiralee, captain of the Australian Indigenous women's football team, the Koalas. Thanks, Kiralee. Thank you. And go Koalas. And uh, Andy Tinai, freelance journalist, former national player for Fiji and a women's football advocate. Got her own club, Everton Sisters FC, as we heard. And there's uh, a chapter in the new book, Hear Us Raw, an anthology of emerging women football writers, which has recently been published by Fair Play Publishing. And Andy has a chapter in that book about her experiences too. Andy, thanks so much for speaking with us on RN. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And Andy, Kiralee and Clevelyn were speaking to us from Anjan, Brisbane, where they're part of a contingent of Indigenous and Indo-Pacific women participating in that ABC International Development Program to develop sports commentary and storytelling skills during the Women's World Cup. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.